ahead and do that this morning. Amen. Give him praise and glory. Come on, give him praise. He's worthy of our praise. Yes, amen. I want you to take your Bibles and, and remain standing for just a moment. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Revelation chapter number 5. Uh, we're going to answer a question this morning. The, the title of the message is based in the form of a question, and we're going to answer that question today. Uh, we, have been, we have been in the year of transformation. We have been going through a lot of changes, and God has been bringing us along and along. He's been transforming us in what we were to what He wants us to be. How many of y'all are glad He's still working on me? Amen? He's still working on us to make us what He wants us to be. And in that process, sometimes it's very difficult. Amen? Sometimes He asks things of us that are difficult. He asks us to sacrifice. Jesus said this. He said, unless a man will hate his father and his mother, sister and brother, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple, you know. In other words, he has to be first. He has to be priority. Our love for him has to be so great that our love for everything else seems like hate. That's pretty substantial, amen. He said, unless a man will deny himself, take up his cross and follow me, he cannot be my disciple. Now, that's a big deal. I mean, that to me, I don't know about y'all, but that is asking for a lot. He is asking for a lot. Last week, we learned that God wants us to sacrifice. God wants our everything. He wants himself to be priority in our life and us to be willing to make sacrifices for him. Now, what gives him the right to demand such? What gives him the right to demand such great adoration and and such great sacrifice from his children? What gives him the right to do that? What gives him the right to tell us what to do? What gives him the right to demand things from his creation? Well, we'll answer that question today. Are you all ready this morning? Well, let's look in Revelation chapter number 5. And uh, before we do, if you were a first-time attender, did we have any first-timers this morning? This is your first time here, and you filled out one of those prayer cards, just hold it up real quick. If you'll hold that thing up, we'll go ahead and take them up. We've got some there in the back, back there on the other side, right here down in the front. Man, this is great. All the way over, we need to make sure. Uh, 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 Brother Lee, won't you run down there and, and grab this one right over here? Amen. We've got one there all over the building. Church, let's give them a hand for being with us. Amen. Come on, give them a hand. Let them know we're glad they're here. All right. Revelation chapter number 5 and verse number 1. Now, what we have here, what we have, what we're fixing to read is the scene in heaven right after the rapture takes place. We are up in glory. Paul says, uh, excuse me, John says, John is writing here. He is given the revelation that God has given to him. And uh, in chapter number 4, verse 1, he said, I heard as a, were a voice talking with me saying, come up hither and I'll show thee things which must be hereafter. So now John is up in the heavens, and I believe which is a type of the rapture. You compare that to 1 Thessalonians 4, 16. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first, and we which are alive and remain shall be called up together to be with them in the clouds. So here we are. We're in the scene. We're in the, the, the throne room, if you will. There is a throne. He that is sitting on the throne with four beasts around the throne, crying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. Then you have 12 elders around the throne, which I believe represents the Old Testament saints and the New Testament saints. And here we have a a book, if you will, a scroll in the hand of him who sits on the throne, which most scholars believe, most Bible scholars believe that this is a title deed to the earth. The title deed that Adam lost in the garden. He was given dominion over the earth and he lost it when he fell into sin. And Jesus is fixing to take it and reclaim what the devil stole. Are y'all with me? 
Listen, there's three things in the Bible that can be redeemed. Land, a bride, and a servant. And Jesus is fixing to redeem, reclaim what belongs to him. Now the question is this, who is worthy? In verse number 1, And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the backside sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? And no man in heaven nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. And I wept much because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. By the way, uh, John, John Baptist was there, the greatest among, born among women, but he was not worthy. King David, the greatest king Israel ever had, was there, but he was not worthy. Isaiah and Zechariah, Daniel, listen, they were all there, but they were not worthy. Peter was there, but he was not worthy. Matthew, Mark, and Luke were there, but they were not worthy. But listen, let me tell you something. John said, I wept much because no man was found worthy to open the book and to read the, uh, what is there. And listen, if you put your dependence on man, you're going to weep. If you put your dependence on what this government can do for you, you're going to be in a bad way. But the Bible says, one of the elders saith unto me, Weep not, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne, and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent forth into all the earth. And he came, this is talking about as a representation of Jesus Christ, and he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat on the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation, and hast made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the blessing of being in the house of God and sharing the truth of the gospel. I pray that your will be done today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. What gives God the right? What gives Jesus the right to demand such from his disciples? What gives him the right to demand such adoration, such service, such sacrifice? What gives him the right to demand so much from us? Well, that's the question we want to answer today. Who is worthy of such sacrifice? Who is worthy of such praise? Who is worthy of such honor? Who is worthy of such service and sacrifice? I want to submit to you there are three things in this particular chapter, three truths about Jesus Christ that I want you to get and understand today. If Jesus didn't do anything for you, he is still worthy. The Bible says three things in this chapter that declare him being worthy. He's worthy, number one, if you're taking notes, write this down. He's worthy because of his person. Say that with me. He's worthy because of his... Come on, everybody, say it loud. He's worthy because of his... Just who he is makes him worthy. 
just who he is. He deserves our best because of who he is. There's two things that describe him in this chapter. Two different phrases, two different titles, if you will, that talk about the Lord Jesus Christ. And the first one is this. He said, Behold, weep not, because the lion of the tribe of Judah hath prevailed to open the book. What does that mean? He is described in royalty. He is our sovereign Lord. Say that with me. He's our sovereign Lord. He deserves it because he is God Almighty. The old song, it says this uh, in Revelation 4 verse 11. Thou art worthy for thou hast created all things and all things were created for thy pleasure. They are and were created. If he never died on the cross, if he never made us a home in heaven, if he never shed his blood, he's still our maker. He is still our creator. John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God, and all things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Genesis 1, 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Genesis chapter number 2, verse number 7. And the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed in his nostrils the breath of life, and he became a living soul. Psalms 100 says this, Know ye not that he hath made us, and not we ourselves? We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. He is the creator. He is God Almighty. He is the Lord. Are y'all with me this morning? How many of y'all are glad that he knows what he's doing? He's the Lord. He's the sovereign Lord. He's the wellspring of wisdom. He's the doorway of deliverance. He's the pathway of peace. He's the roadway of righteousness. He's the highway of holiness. He's the gateway of glory. He's the master of the mighty. He's the captain of the conquerors. He's the leader of the legislatures. He's the overseer of the overcomers. He's the governor of the governors, the prince of prince. Uh, uh, he's the promise is sure. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His yoke is easy. And his burden is light. I wish I could describe him to you, but he's in indescribable, he's inconceivable, he's incomprehensible, he's invincible, and he's irresistible. Say amen. That's him. The heavens cannot contain him. You can't outlive him, and you can't live without him. The Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him, and the grave couldn't hold him. He always has been, and he always will be. You can't impeach him, and he ain't going to resign. Somebody say amen. That's him. We don't bow down to a statue. We don't bow down to a piece of wood. We don't bow down to gold and silver. He's the living, breathing King of kings and Lord of lords. He's not this figure on some cross that you see around somebody's neck. He is not a sandal-wearing poor carpenter anymore. Yes, he came that way. Yes, he humbled himself and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And he took upon the cross and he died and was obedient unto death. But let me tell you now, he is highly exalted. And God has given him a name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Right now, he's got eyes of fire and feet like brass. He is the king and he's on the throne. He's worthy. He's worthy because he is the sovereign Lord. The sovereign Lord. It says, Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, 
hath prevailed. But the Bible says this. John said, I turned to see the lion. I turned to see the lion. And it says, and I saw, what did he see? A lamb as it had been slain. What does that mean? He's not only the sovereign Lord, he's the sacrificial lamb. He's the sacrificial lamb. Thou art worthy. It says in chapter 4, verse 11, I think, I believe it's verse 11. It was the last verse in chapter 4. Thou art worthy because thou hast created all things, and all things were created for thy pleasure. They are and were created. He's the maker. He's the sovereign Lord. But then it says the new song in chapter number 5. Thou art worthy for thou hast redeemed us unto God by thy blood out of every kindred, nation, and tongue. Are you all with me? He's worthy of everything he asks of us simply because of who he is. But he's not just our sovereign Lord. He is the sacrificial lamb who paid the price so you could be forgiven. You're not getting what you deserve because of him. You're getting what you don't deserve. Heaven, say amen. The golden street, a pearly gate. Listen, all the blessings of heaven because of him. Y'all with me? He gives you provision on this earth because of him. Not just because of who he is. He's the sovereign Lord, but he is the sacrificial lamb. He is my redeemer. He is worthy because he made me. He is worthy because he saved me. Even if you are in this building right now and you're not saved, you're not saved, you don't know him as your savior, you still owe him. You know why? He put breath in your lungs. You are, borrowing, you are borrowing his air. So if you don't think you owe him, hold your breath. Amen? You know, it's kind of funny. We tell our kids, I brought you into this world and I can take you out. Are you all with me? He brought us to life. He is our life. I mean, what is too great a sacrifice for somebody like that? He's worthy because he made me. He's worthy because he saved me. Not only because of his person. It goes further than that. He's worthy, say it with me, he's worthy because of his person. Say it with me. He's worthy because of his, then, then number two, write this down. He's worthy because of his prevailing prevailing it says this the lion of the tribe of judah hath prevailed say that word with me he hath prevailed you know what that means it means to conquer it means to overcome he overcome some things he had to win the victory so we could be saved he had to win the victory he listen he had to do something so that we could be forgiven and free what did he overcome preacher what did he prevail against? What did he win and conquer and win the victory over first? If you're writing these things down, A, he overcome or he prevailed against sin and the devil. Sin and the devil. There was a time in the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. They are here, they are here in the wilderness. And, and the Bible says that Jesus has been fasting. Forty days he's fasted, not a thing to eat. And he's been spending time in prayer and with his Father in heaven. And the devil comes. And you know what? By the way, the devil knows when you're at your weakest. 
and he knows what to tempt you with. The first thing that he tempted him with, the first thing that he tempted him with was bread. Why? He'd been fasting. The devil knows our weakness and he knows what to deal with us about. And he comes and he tempts him with sin. Now, by the way, the Bible says that Jesus was tempted in all points of sin. That means he knows everything that we ever go through. He has been tempted and he overcomes. Now, I always wondered about that. I'm serious. I always wondered. I had little issues with that because I'm thinking, now, Lord, you, you know, you ain't never been married. So how do you know what I'm going through? Are y'all with me? So how could you be tempted in all points? Now, here's the deal. All points. There's three points of sin. All sin can be categorized and classified in three, three ways. It says the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. All three, every sin that's ever been is all in them three right there. Guess what? In all three of them is what the devil tempted Jesus with in the wilderness. And you know what? He overcame all three. Say amen. And if he did it, you can do it. He has prevailed. Not only in the wilderness did he prevail, but he also prevailed at Calvary. He prevailed over sin. The reason sin has no power over me is because of Calvary. The reason sin will not drag me to hell is because of Calvary. He overcame. Say amen. Listen, he prevailed over sin and the devil. He prevailed over sickness and disease. Sickness and disease. Guess what? Sickness and disease came because of the curse. Now, some of y'all need to let that sink in a minute. And we need to quit blaming God every time somebody gets cancer or somebody has a heart attack or somebody has diabetes. Listen, God didn't do that. Adam did. We blame God for stuff that he didn't have nothing to do with. Running 150 miles an hour down the interstate, texting on the phone and running to a column, and we say, why would God do that? Hello? And God gets blamed for a lot of stuff that he didn't have nothing to do with. Disease came because of the curse. If you'll go back to Genesis, you'll find that out. The curse brought devastation, brought sickness, brought disease, brought thorns and thistles and everything else. But I'm glad to know when the king came, disease had to go. Jesus is walking down the street, and a woman with an issue of blood comes and touches the hem of his garment. And there's everybody around him, surround him. He said, who touched me? And the disciples couldn't understand it. What do you mean? Who there's all kind of people around you. Oh, no, somebody touched me. Virtue has gone out of me. And he, he knew somebody was healed. And she falls at his feet. And she had been healed of her issue. She had been healed of her disease. A man at the pool of Bethesda. Jesus says, wilt thou be made whole? And the first thing he says, I have no man to help me. Now, isn't it amazing, isn't it amazing when God's trying to help you, you want to blame somebody? Instead of just saying, yeah, man, can you do something for me? He heals the man. How about blind Bartimaeus? All these different examples in the Bible we find where Jesus touched people and healed people. And by the way, he's still healing people. He has prevailed over sickness and disease. But, Leslie, under this point, I want you to see this. Not only did he prevail over sin and the devil, he prevailed over sickness and disease, but he also prevailed over storms and discouragement. Now, I want to hunker down right here a minute because I feel a lot of us face this more than anything else in the world. How many of y'all been discouraged before? 
rest of your life. I know you are. Amen. You just told a big one right there. Amen. How many of you, how many of you have been to the point of discouragement that you thought God didn't care? Be honest. You see, the disciples were on a boat one time. They were on a boat one time, and it got a little rough. It started storming. The rain started falling. The thunder started cracking, and the lightning started flashing, and, and water started coming in the boat. I mean, this was not, this was not a sprinkle. Are y'all with me? These were mariners. I mean, these were seasoned fishermen who had been on the water before, and they had been in storms before. They had been through circumstances before, and this was not something, but this was different. And the Bible said when the water started coming in the boat, that they ran down to the bottom of the ship where Jesus was asleep. Now, how many of you sometimes in your life you felt in your, your storm he was asleep? And this is what they said. Don't you care we're going to die? Don't you care what's going on? Have you ever thought that? Now, some of y'all are looking at me funny. Let me give you King James. Carest thou not that we perish? That, now do you, yeah, does it, okay, it sounds familiar now, right? I'll just give you Alabama version, Amen. Carest thou not that we perish? Don't you care what we're going through? Hey, man, we're going to die. And then Jesus gets up. He walks to the bow of the boat. And he says, peace be still. And the storm, immediately, a calm. How many of you, now be honest, be honest, it's just us. How many of you, have been in that storm, and you just thought God had forgotten you. You didn't think he cared anymore. Then all of a sudden, he came on the scene, fixed the issue, and now you're standing there like, sheepish, like, what was I thinking? I should have known better. I should have known. And this is what he said, where's your faith? Where's your faith? I tell you this, guys. No matter what storm you're in right now, he'll bring you through it. No matter what you're facing, he'll bring you through it. No matter what it is, he can get it done. Are y'all with me? Storms and discouragement. How many of y'all remember John Baptist? Y'all remember him? He was the coolest character on the flannel graph. Now, some of y'all don't know what I'm talking about, but if you've been in Sunday school from this side, you know, how many of y'all know what a flannel graph is? These kids nowadays, they got iPads and iPods and E-whatever. I mean, they got everything in it. I mean, John the Baptist was in 3D for them. I hate them all. Say amen. I was born in the wrong time. Amen. When I was growing up, he was on the flannel graph. You stuck him to the wall, and then you told a story. Amen. Now, he just does the story on video. He comes out of the wilderness. He comes out of the wilderness wearing camel hair, eating locusts and wild honey. You know he's a bad dude when he's eating bugs. Say amen. And he's over here in the wilderness, in the wilderness seminary, and he's being taught with one professor, and that's the Holy Ghost. And the Bible says that when he came out in the wilderness, the one in the wilderness told him that when you baptize him, 
You're going you're gonna to baptize. You're going you're gonna to know who he is because there is a dove going to fly out of heaven in the, in the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove, and it's going to light upon him. That's what it says. The Bible says that. God was giving him a sign. So you would know specifically who it is. That's him. When you see that, that's him. How many of y'all are with me so far? Before he ever comes out and starts his, his camp meeting campaign, uh, before he ever comes out and starts preaching hellfire and brimstone, before he ever comes out and starts baptizing people and shaking up the neighborhood, God said, this is a sign. This is how you're going to know him. Uh, uh, the Spirit will descend as a dove and light upon him. Then you'll know it's him. And guess what happened? He's out there preaching, I mean going after. And he is, boy, he's got a backbone like a saw log. I love, I mean, that's why he's my favorite character. Because he didn't care what he said or how he said it. And, and he just told him like it was. I mean, the Pharisees come out to the baptism. He said, oh, no, don't y'all come out here. Y'all go show you you've repented first. Bring me meat. Works mean of repentance. And then, I, then we'll think about it. Now that's tough. Say amen. And, and here he is out there baptizing. And Jesus comes. When Jesus comes down the riverbank, he said he stopped the whole service. He said that because see they've been asking him who he was. Are you are you the Messiah? He's uh uh-uh. uh. Are you are you Elijah? Uh uh-uh. uh. He's who are you? I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Are you the Messiah? No, I'm baptizing with water. But there's one coming after me whose shoe latches I'm not even worthy to latch. He's going to baptize with the Holy Ghost and with fire. He's coming. I'm not him, but he's on his way. And guess what? Here Jesus came, and he stopped everything and said, I want y'all to see, behold, the Lamb of God which taketh away the sins of the world. And Jesus said, I need you to baptize me. He comes, and, and John, I'm going somewhere. I'm not running a rabbit. I promise you, I'm on a trail, but I, I'm, it's, it's good. Jesus baptizes him, or excuse me, John baptizes Jesus, and he comes up, and guess what come out of heaven? The spirit in the form of a dove and lit upon him. He didn't just see the sign. The Bible says, and they heard a voice out of heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Now, I don't know about y'all, but that's some pretty good confirmation. Would y'all agree? He saw the sign he was supposed to hear, or see. He heard a voice from heaven saying, this is him. But guess what? During his ministry, he was preaching and he gets thrown in jail because of his message. And while sitting in prison, waiting on the executioner, he hears the works of Jesus. This is exactly the way it says in your Bible. When he heard the works of the Lord when he worked the works of Jesus. The Bible says he got two of his servants, two of his followers, and said, come here, come here, I need you to go do something. I need you to go ask him, are you sure you're him? Or, or, or do we look for another? Now, preacher, is that the same guy you just had heard and saw? And That's him. The same one that baptized him and saw the Spirit Descend as a form of a dove and light upon him. The same one who heard the voice out of heaven saying, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Now he's saying, Are you sure you're him? Are you sure you're him? Say, What happened to John? He got discouraged. And and sometimes when we get discouraged, It'll cause us to think some things we normally wouldn't think. 
Well, what caused him to get discouraged? I believe it was this. I really do. I believe it was this. John was a hellfire and brimstone preacher. I believe he was. You're going to hell. You're going to hell. If you don't get right. I mean, he was a hellfire wide open. He just laid it down. But then he heard that Jesus done something. He heard that there was a woman, I mean, caught in the very act of adultery, thrown at his feet. And, and Jesus said, woman, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. He said, what? I believe that John's perception of what Jesus was going to be and what Jesus was going to do when he got here was different than what his was. Because he didn't get discouraged till he heard about what Jesus was doing. Now, why would he get discouraged about Jesus healing a blind man? And why would he get discouraged about Jesus healing a lame man? Why would he get, are y'all with me? How many of y'all have gotten discouraged before because God went right when you thought he was going to go left? God didn't do like you thought he was going to do. And life didn't turn out like you thought it was going to turn out. One day I'm on the mountaintop preaching camp meetings. Now I'm sitting in a prison. Even though he did say he must increase, but I must decrease. That's still easy, easy preaching and hard living. And now he's discouraged. Now he's discouraged. Now he is down. Now, and discouragement will get you to look for something else. Are you sure you're him, or do we look for another? Hey, discouragement will cause you to look for a new spouse. It'll cause you to look for a new church. It'll cause you to look for all kinds of things. But you know what Jesus did? Can you imagine these disciples going up to Jesus and saying, uh, Jesus, uh, now, John's, it ain't us. John's wanting to know, uh, are you sure you're him? Now, this ain't us. This is John asking this. He's wanting to know, are you sure you're him? Now, if, if, if Jesus would have been Baptist like us, the type of Baptist we are in this modern day. He said, what? Didn't he see the dove? Didn't he hear the voice? What's wrong? You know, because I, I don't know what it is about Christians. They're the only army that kicks their own water down. Amen. It's amazing to me how when somebody messes up and falls, everybody wants to jump on them like a pack of hyenas. Coolest thing, Jeff. Coolest thing in the world. This church that I went up to, and, and by the way, all y'all that prayed for me, God bless your prayers. God answered it. It was an incredible service once I got there. But getting there was, whoo. A preacher who was scheduled to preach on a Wednesday night. Some of y'all might not like this, but you'll get over it. Uh, on Wednesday night, a preacher was supposed to preach, and, and he got messed up in a relationship. Committed adultery. And called and said, look, I'm, I, can't, I can't come. You know, this has happened so much, so forth and so on. And this is what that church did. They had a table up at the front. And they, they put two posters up on the front. And they asked all the church members to come sign a note of encouragement. One for the preacher. And one for the preacher's wife. Saying, we're praying for you. You're going through a difficult time. We're praying for healing and restoration, and we're praying for forgiveness, and we're praying that God would. I was blown away. 
unbelievable. I, was, I started crying. While in the midst of my preaching, I started crying. I was giving this illustration, and I turned, and I said, see, this is what Jesus would have done. Because the Bible says when he heard about John's discouragement, he went and healed somebody and said, go tell John this. He went and touched somebody and said, go tell John this. He went and, and, and he said, listen, and when he went to leave, when they went to go, the Bible says as they were leaving, he turned to the crowd because everybody heard what John had said. And he turned to the crowd and said, what did you think you was going to see? A reed shaking in the wind? Let me tell you something about John Baptist. There ain't no man born of woman greater than John Baptist. When John was discouraged in Jesus, Jesus had John's back and encouraged John. Aren't y'all glad that he prevailed over storms and discouragement? Can you imagine? Can you imagine? When those guys got back to John, he's sitting in the prison discouraged. He said, John, you ain't going to believe it. You ain't going to believe it. Man, when we got there, he healed a blind man. He could see again right there on the spot. Really? Did he do it? Yeah. And he healed a lame man. He got up and run home and told him about the blind man. I mean, did he do that right? Yeah, he did. He healed him. I mean, right in front of us, John, he did it. John, that ain't all. Really? What? What? It? John, you ain't going to believe what he said about you. He said you was the greatest. Now, how many of you are glad you got a friend in heaven who won't kick you when you're down? He's prevailed over storms and discouragement. Church, say amen. Now, I ain't going to give you three because we're out of time. Let me, let me just say it to you and you write it down. All right? He's worthy because of his person, just who he is. He's worthy because of his prevailing. He's worthy because of his provision. Verses 9, 10, 11, and 12 tell us that he has provided us a saving pardon. Verse 9. Verse 10, he has provided us a stately position. We shall reign with him. Kings and priests on this earth. Say amen right there. He not only gave us a saving pardon, he gave us a stately position, then he gave us a song of praise. How many of you are glad you don't have to sing the old song you used to? Listen, you used to sing, I'm on the highway to hell, and now you can sing, heaven is my home. You used to sing, you're cheating the heart, and now you can sing, I'm redeemed by love divine, glory, glory, Christ is mine. Amen? What's the point? point is this we said all that to say this everybody in the rock down there your sacrifice is not in vain and the reason you're down there is because he's worthy and everybody else that volunteered for different Sundays and you're going to give up your seat so we can make room in here to reach people with the gospel he is worthy of our sacrifice he is worthy of our praise church say amen father in